Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back to Corner Kick. We have a sort of three-man hybrid booth, uh, sort of like how PSG played a three at the back with a center back, a CDM, and a 17-year-old defender. Uh, We have a variety of people here, um, three to be precise, who will all be here for various amounts of time. Uh, But I am Nathan Strauss, uh, and if I sound very tired, it's because I'm exhausted. I've driven... 2250 miles in the last six days and 12 hours um but this is like the finale i'm powering through to get this recorded and edited um before i allow myself to rest and recover um but as always we're joined by a man who i think could still celebrate for another few days um based on if he was celebrating one day for each goal his team put past his arch rival this weekend it's nick Avinden. Yes, it would be a week, a full week of celebrations. And I think Liverpool fans are going to be milking that result against Manchester United for a whole lot longer. I'm excited to talk about that game with you guys. But Nathan, allow me to formally welcome you to the South. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was driving down today and made it all the way down. And, you know, it's uh, certainly different um, you know, whereas my hometown has about 35,000 of, uh, of us chosen people, there are 3,800 of us in the entire state of South Carolina, where I'm recording this from. So um, probably I, even less in Georgia where. Yeah, well, probably more, right? Because Atlanta and whatnot. Maybe. But, but, you know, yeah. it's certainly it's certainly different vibes. But, um, you know, I went to a Kroger today for the first time. And uh, it was like the biggest supermarket Huge. I've ever been to in my entire life. There were 31 aisles. 31 aisles worth of stuff. So I'm still sort of recovering from that. Like, it was a lot of work. Um, but of course, we're also joined by now the lone Yankee of the three of us, uh, Caleb Rhodes. And I think, Nick, it's fair that we congratulate Caleb for officially um, taking the next step in his journey to uh, becoming one of the finest doctors the world has ever seen. So, Caleb, uh, congratulations on on med school. Uh, it's uh, been a long time coming, but now you'll officially be uh you'll be taking the hippocratic oath so congrats thank you i appreciate it and yes i am the the lone yank and i foresee it staying that way <laughs> for me <laughs> if i'll be honest but i hope That's i'm glad I mean, you guys are enjoying this well in fairness i think nick is probably going to be the first one to go back up to new england i'll be back up in september but um but yeah i guess i uh it, yeah no i guess uh you know nick and i could see it or something but uh, well, let's talk some soccer. Uh, Nick is uh, Nick is in the car or about to be in the car going even further south. Um, but speaking of going further south, Manchester United season went further south when Liverpool beat the f- shit out of them this weekend in a humiliating 7-0 victory. Nick, I'm assuming that you uh, would like to have the floor here to just, you know, share some rare euphoria of uh, in this season that's been so trying for you. Yeah, I'm not going to be here for the full episode because I have to hit the road uh, to get to uh, another, like Nathan said, another part of the South. I'm not going to triangulate my location for the listeners. But like Nathan said, this is the 
for me, I think this was my favorite. I've been reflecting on this. You know, there's been a lot of great Liverpool wins. Obviously, the 4-0 against Barcelona, the Istanbul Champions League, which I vaguely, you know, somewhat remember my dad watching. Um, the Champions League win against Spurs. There was the 5-0 win at Old Trafford last season. There's been plenty of amazing, incredible uh, Liverpool victories over the past, you know, 23 or so, 25 years. I think this undoubtedly, especially given the context of the season that Liverpool are having, the inconsistencies, you know, losing at home 5-2 to Madrid so recently, this 7-0 result against a resurgent, what we thought was a resurgent Manchester United team, is probably my favorite Liverpool game of all time. I think it is just far and away one of the best performances of the Klopp era, if not the best performance of the Klopp era. It announced Darwin Nunez and Cody Gakpo as, I think, now permanent members of a new Liverpool front three involving them and Mohamed Salah. It displayed Mohamed Salah at the peak of his powers, you know, registering two goals and two assists on the day. And also, we saw the return to form for players like Trent Alexander-Arnold, like Andy Robertson, who was, you know, spraying passes all over the field, including for Gakpo's opener, an incredible pass to set that goal up. And just some of the most beautiful counterattacking, you know, heavy metal football we have seen in the Klopp era. You know, I think about that third goal that Cody Gakpo go, <laughs> that Cody Gakpo scores, where Mo Salah, you know, is flying down the pitch and does like a Messi against Boateng esque, you know, zigzag type maneuver to just sit Lisandro Martinez down and play the through ball through into Gakpo, who chips De Gea for for the third Liverpool goal. But yeah, euphoric results for Liverpool in the context of our season, where we're really sort of struggling for things to to play for. Certainly, top four is the most important of those, but you know probably going to be out of the Champions League, out of the FA Cup, out of the Carabao Cup early. So in a season where there's not been a lot to celebrate for Liverpool, this is really just a dream all-time, all-time result for, for us. It's funny that you said that this was one of your favorite, or this was probably the best game that you've seen, because keep in mind, like, you've won a Champions League. Um, but I, I think we have to talk about just how hilarious this was for United, because uh, they talk a lot both as a club and as players and uh, as fans. I personally enjoy... Sometimes they touch signs when they should. Yes, famed walking virus and 6'4", sometimes soccer player, Woot Reghorst, touched the the sign at Anfield. And uh, yeah, but I mean, like, I think the element of this game that I enjoyed the most is just how funny it was. And because of the reactions of some of, you know, the most prominent pundits in the game... Um, I thought that was particularly funny. Yeah, this game. Oh was... yeah, I mean, I'll go for a kill. I was gonna say, I mean, this game was just hilarious, and it's one of those times where I think once the ball, so to speak, got rolling and started going into the net, like you could see this is where like the role of morality, um, like team morale, I guess. You know, plays <laughs> the role the role of objective good and bad of objective good. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about objective good when it came to Bruno Fernandes in this yeah, game. Um, but I, I think it was a situation where, like, you just saw a team crumble. Um, and you know, Liverpool. It's not like they put up 
a crazy amount of shots. You know, they had 18 shots on the game, eight on target, but just seven of went, seven of them went in. They only had like 2.7 um XG, which I think just tells you just how poor, you know, man you started playing. And I think this will really, I think we'll look back on it at the end of the season, perhaps, as an important inflection point. Um, honestly, more so for Liverpool than for Man U, in the sense that, you know, Man U today won in the Europa League, and maybe Nathan and I will touch on that later. And even Weghorst was able to score. But Liverpool, you know, with this victory, um, they are low key in a pretty good run of form in the league. They're currently in fifth place. They're only three points off Tottenham, but have a game in hand. They're ahead of Newcastle by a point, although Newcastle have a game in hand on them, but their offense has looked, you know, anemic recently. And I think it's not, you know, crazy at this point to think that Liverpool probably of those three teams, Tottenham, um, Liverpool and Newcastle are the most likely to grab, you know, that fourth spot um, in the Premier League. And frankly, they're only, you know, seven points off Man U with another, you know, 13 or 14 games to play. So Liverpool's season is very much back on. And I do think that they'll be in a much better place come summer than it seemed, you know, around game week 17 of this season. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and hopefully we don't need an Allison. Hopefully we don't need an Allison header to secure us top four this time around. And I think, Caleb, you're right in that. Of those three teams, you know, Tottenham are truly dire. You know, Richarlison is speaking in the media about how much she despises Antonio Conte's tactics. Um, you know, I think his actual words league. were, it's been shit. And that's, yeah, you know, who, who am I to paraphrase <laughs> the great man, Richarlison himself? But yeah, Newcastle, their offense has looked pretty dire as well. You know, Alexander Isak is still nowhere to be found. And I think that squad is um, looking a little leggy as well. And for Liverpool, you know, they're in a prime position. They seem to have sorted out uh, a lot of stuff at the back. You know, they haven't conceded a goal in the Premier League for in the Premier League for a few games. Or you know, and they need they needed this result. You know, they needed a result where they could really demonstrate that they are, in many ways, you know, the Liverpool old. This performance had a lot of the hallmarks of the heights of Klopp era football, you know, winning the ball back high up the pitch. Fabinho, I thought, you know, this was his best game by far all season, you know, winning the ball back, being in places where he should. Really, you know, the talk about for United going into this game was all about Casemiro and how he's, you know, transformed their midfield and their organization. I thought Fabinho was by far and away the best Brazilian defensive midfielder on the pitch. But yeah, yeah, I think... I mean, for just, United, before I head out, for United, this is a disaster. <laughs> like a disastrous result. This is their worst ever Premier League defeat. Um, and it shows once again that they are mentally fragile when things don't go their way. And there's no better example of this than Bruno Fernandes, you know, shoving a referee in the second half, wanting to be subbed like looking at the bench and like demanding a substitution and not getting it and, you know, throwing in ill-timed and malicious tackles across the pitch. And he's, you know, he was the captain of United on the day and stuff like that, you know, bleeds down throughout the team. And I thought players like Luke Shaw gave up, you know, in the second half. I, I think there's a lot of questions to be asked 
mentally from a performance that Eric Ten Hag even in the post-match called unprofessional. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Liverpool have a sort of murderer's row coming up after the international break uh, where they have City on Saturday, Tuesday, uh, Chelsea on Tuesday, and then Arsenal on Sunday. Um, the first two of those games are away. And I think it's totally possible that Liverpool come away with no more than four points from those three games, depending on you know Chelsea's form in particular at that point. But after that, it is like smooth sailing. Um, you know, Liverpool are home to Spurs, but that's the only big six game they'll have remaining. And they close the season with Brentford, a terrible Leicester, a bad Aston Villa, who are sort of Liverpool's bogey team, and Southampton, who will probably be relegated by that time. So I do think Liverpool are in prime position. Um, just it seems like, you know, with Conte on the outs um, at Spurs, which I guess we'll talk about in a little bit too. Um, you know, it's pretty remarkable that Liverpool, after being so bad in the middle of the season, or at least inconsistent, um, it, it, in fairness to them, they did get wins earlier on in the year from situations that could have been draws. They just happened to, you know, lose a lot of games, too. They have seven losses um, with six draws. So I think the future is is pretty good for this Liverpool team. And frankly, financially, I think if, if you just slide into that fourth spot, um, not only is it good because it means that you know, Spurs would be out of the Champions League from an Arsenal fans' perspective. But, um, you know, this is a Liverpool team that's going to need some serious investment uh, in the in the middle and back, um, and that'll help them do so. And plus, Nick, it'll keep you happy, which I think, um, you know, I value quite highly. So is there anything that you want to add before you uh, depart for uh, way down yonder? No, I just think from a tactical standpoint, the thing that was really promising to me in this game is that, Liverpool have really stumbled into a way to get Salah, Hakpo, and Nunez all working together. And that seems to be, you know, putting Hakpo and Nunez on, on the left and letting Salah really just have the right side of the pitch all to himself. And that seems to really work because teams will inevitably, you know, throw more bodies to cover the ground that Salah has to make up. And then Hakpo and Nunez have you know, the freedom of the left side of the pitch to, to do their thing. And we saw that in the first goal and we saw that in the third goal. So I think they're, as long as this front three gels and with someone as experienced a goal scorer as Mo Salah, who is now Liverpool's all-time leading goal scorer in the Premier League, which is an incredible statistic given, you know, him only being at the club for five years. It's just crazy that he's already, you know, eclipsed a Liverpool great like Robbie Fowler to that spot. So I think Salah, you know, cementing a case for an all-time Premier League great spot. Uh, Hakpo and Nunez announcing themselves as dependable members of the Liverpool front three. And also, you know, Roberto Firmino coming on and scoring the seventh goal, which I think is quite symbolic, given the fact that, you know, he's announced that he's the party in the club after a legendary run himself in this legendary Liverpool side. So a lot of positives for Liverpool. And I look forward to hearing the rest of the show. And I look forward to coming on uh, next week when we've inevitably lost away at Bournemouth this Saturday. And with that, Nick, we say... Goodbye. Um, unlike last time, I'm going to really make sure that Nick leaves, uh, Caleb, because as we know, I got a little bit scared. Um, Bundesliga what? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, Nick, get out of here. Um, I, I do love that the very thing we predicted about Bundesliga Watch happened, but we'll... Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll the... that. <laughs> that was so sad. That was really sad. It was so predictable, though. Yeah. Um, but... All right. <laughs>
Anyways. Safe travels, Nick. <laughs> yep. See you guys. I'm waiting for his little... There we go. Um, but yeah, now that Nick is gone, Caleb, we can talk some other soccer. Uh, it, this was a very... This was one of the best weekends of soccer for me personally uh, that I've had in quite some time. And I'm imagining, Caleb, you as like a, a neutral too were probably pretty happy with how this weekend shook out. We're not going to talk about La Liga at all because it doesn't matter um, at this point. Uh, or, or at least the results this weekend was, were. Yeah. All, I mean, Madrid drew again. Madrid, Madrid dropped points to Betis and Barcelona won. Um, and that's pretty much the story. Frankly, um, the most interesting stuff is the off the field, but we don't have time. Yeah, we just don't have time. For There's, all so much of that. Stuff. There's so much stuff going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the big, the other thing that happened on Saturday um, aside from, you know, Wolves beating Spurs, which was, again, very good for me personally, was Arsenal completing uh, one of the greatest comebacks that I've seen. I uh, Arsenal were down 2-0. They gave up the second fastest goal in Premier League history uh, to Bournemouth. And they also lost their only fit striker when Trossard had to come off for Emile Smith-Rowe in the 22nd minute. They were down 2-0, and then they scored you know, two goals in the 62nd and 70th minute to tie it up. And then with the last kick of the game, Reese Nelson, of all people, scores just an unreal volley from outside the box. I was watching this game from a hotel room in northern Maine with a friend of mine who has just been getting into soccer as a whole because he went to – he was in London casually – um, and just was like, oh, I, there are tickets available for this game. I guess I'll go. And it was the North London Derby um, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And he was like, wow, that Martin Odegaard guy, really good at soccer. And then he just became an Arsenal fan. So uh, when that goal went in, I literally was running around screaming like a little kid. Um, but it was that was a, a crazy game. And again, just it makes me feel like, you know, there's a little bit of destiny about this team. Also, just a banger of a goal. Yeah, I mean, it was another very important win for Arsenal as they, you know, continue to, you know, top the table in the Premier League. Um, I think it was, you know, a little bit concerning that they were at one point, you know, 2-0 down to the last place team in the Premier League. Caveat being that there have been a lot of different teams that have been in last place this year, and I'm still not sure which of the, you know, six or seven worst teams in the league might get relegated. Um, but definitely they are finding a way as they have several points this year. Reese Nelson um, has some crazy super sub numbers. I don't think he'd played. In he has five over... goal contributions in 80 minutes. Of yeah. So obviously, you know, he comes in at, at key points and has been able to sort of change the game. Um, and I think that, you know, one note about this Arsenal team is it in general is not the deepest. And so they will need to look towards players like Reese Nelson that are somewhat more on the periphery um, of the team um, to, to actually perform. Yeah, and I think you make a good point, too, because the relegation battle is really interesting this year. Because starting at Crystal Palace in 12th, who are tied with Wolves on 27 points um, with a game in hand, there's only six points that separates 20th place Bournemouth and 12th place Crystal Palace. Then there's like a seven point gap between 12th and 11th, which is, I think, where the sort of safe cutoff is right now. Obviously, it's hilarious that Chelsea are in 10th. But 
you look at, you know, form aside, Bournemouth have the worst goal differential in the entire division. So you'd think they're likely to go down. Southampton are just generally pretty bad. Although they beat Leicester in what's, you know, a relegation six pointer basically at this point. And then Everton continue to uh, underwhelm as, you know, they were up 2-1 over Nottingham Forest and gave up a, a, a double to Brennan Johnson. So that was a, another big relegation type battle. So if you if I had to pick three teams to go down, it would be probably at this point uh, Bournemouth, Southampton, and Everton, uh, the teams that are currently in that spot. But again, Leeds have won just one of their last five um, and haven't really gotten that new manager bounce. So it's going to be really interesting. This is like, I think, a legitimately tense battle. I mean, I haven't seen that. You know, there ha- there isn't going to be a team that gets relegated in, you know, March like there has been recently, which I think is good for the league. And certainly yeah. there's going to be intrigue on really both ends of the table, which is good. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I am eyeing, you know, Nottingham Forest um, as the third. I think their, their 14th place position right now um, gives them a bit too much credit because you just look at their goal difference and it's minus 24, which is the second worst in the league um, after Bournemouth. And so I think, you know, they're only a few points above the drop zone right now. And I think at some point, the fact that they have a terrible offense and a terrible defense should catch up to them. But crazier things have happened. My question to you on the Arsenal side of things um, is A, you know, which... You, you've had two, I think, late comeback Premier League games this season, the other being against Manchester United. You know, which uh, game did you prefer? Probably the Man U one, just because it's higher profile. And then second question is, are you a little bit concerned that you're having to resort to sort of like last-ditch performances like these in, you know, game week 26, when, as we just talked about with Liverpool, there's still a solid, you know, third of the season left to go? Uh, so I really enjoy the United one um, in part because, again, as we talked about earlier today, United are just not, um, we, we, they have some sort of ethical differences. Um, but in that United game, you know, Arsenal outshot them like 30 to five. It was something crazy. Like Arsenal were truly dominant and happened to give up a really good goal to Marcus Rashford in the early stages. And then. I think a, a goal off a corner to someone, uh, Lucena Martinez, off of like a weird rebound. But Arsenal deserved to win that game. And I enjoyed this game against Bournemouth because I didn't necessarily feel like, you know, for much of it, Arsenal deserved to be in front. Like I thought the first half, Arsenal were pretty bad. Um, and then even when they went 2 0 up, I was like, well, <laughs> excuse me. You sneezed at that exact moment in, I in did. Northern Maine. No, I did. Um, <laughs> but I was like, you know, we don't deserve this right now. And then, um, you know, coming back from those circumstances, the drama of it being on, you know, literally the last kick, I think, helped too. Um, but I enjoyed them both. You know, also Aston Villa, Arsenal were, it was, a, it, Arsenal, you know, scored two goals after the 90th minute. Um, I, I'm not necessarily concerned per se, because at the end of the day, um, I think the fact that there is belief that like this team isn't sort of like giving up close to the end of games is really encouraging. And you look at the points, the difference between those three draws, had they not gone in and those three wins, I mean, that's six points. And that's, you know, that's the difference between being in second and being in first right now. 
Um, I am a little bit concerned, though, with the fact that Arsenal don't really have a fit striker, although um, Gabriel Jesus returned to training yesterday. Um, you know, Nketiah is still out with a knock. Martinelli played up top today, um, but isn't really a true striker. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. But no, I'm not really concerned because I think the that sort of emotional um, wave is really powerful. I spent like so long this weekend just watching compilation videos of like fans reacting to the goal live, both like from the stadium and from like bars around the world, because uh, it was very, very much needed. Uh, and then I guess we can segue a little bit into the Europa League because um, you know, we talked about United and Arsenal, and those were two teams that were in action today. Obviously, there was Champions League stuff going on too, but you know, Arsenal were held to a draw away at Sporting. They rotated. Um, Sporting will be down there two two of their starting eleven in the return leg, and United uh, kind of cruised by Betis today, um, kind of ending effectively ending that tie. I would say with a four one home victory. Um, some other bangers, Caleb, in this Europa League, though, including uh, our boys, Union, drawing with fellow our boys, Union, uh, 3-3. <laughs> Union with a slightly different accent. Uh, but... uh, Union. I've actually, so this game today was played in Berlin, but I've been to the Union saint gilois Stadium. It's in, it's an Art Deco stadium. It's in Brussels. I, uh, this is, I think I've, I might have shared this story earlier on the pod. Yes, is this where you had, uh, this is where you I had buy the shirt with, and you had, beer I had a with, beer with Mohammed with Mohammed, yes, yeah, which was really fun and it's a really cool stadium. Um, but yeah, so the Europa League was back basically, is my point. Um, and there were some fun games and some less fun games like Juve Freiburg with no Pogba because he was late to a team meeting, uh, finished one nil to Juve. Oh, god. <laughs> Um, some other sort of stinkers, Roma Sociedad, which is like real Europa League energy, finished 2 0 to Roma. Um, but yeah, I guess yeah. the big ones are the, the Premier League sides are both set up pretty well, I think, for the next round. Yeah, I think so. I, I think there's not that many high profile ties. I think Roma Sociedad is probably the most interesting um tie on paper, but Sociedad have been in some real bad form recently and so i'm not terribly surprised that roma were able to you know secure you know a healthy win at home sporting versus arsenal was an interesting game um i think minimal defense just vibes mi minimal it, it, yeah it, it was it was pretty open um i thought matt turner was solid in goal but oh, i thought he was i thought he was bad I, I thought I thought his shot stopping was good, but he clearly put the team under pressure, you know, when he tried to play out from the back. And so it, it's it's a little bit of stat padding in the sense like if you're just creating chances for the opposition. Um, but I'll say that's one of the reasons maybe why what was basically a you know a first choice ish Arsenal defense, save for uh Kiwior, the the uh winter signing making um, his debut yeah yeah he hadn't played yet before right um yeah so I no, think, that was literally his first game in like six weeks of action yeah so i think you know a, a draw away is probably good enough for arsenal martinelli had a crazy dribble from the halfway line should have been, should have been a goal. um where he beat like four people and unfortunately he got just pushed a little wide towards the end of the run and it got away from him. Also, that that center back for 
for sporting um made an incredible recovery run saint just jerry, jerry saint just, juice he's so he's known for being like a fifa like yes legend so i i mean i learned this today right because i don't really follow the portuguese league desk but yeah he's he's like a 93 pace center back which is not that you know yeah, he common. Is, he's rapid and and he demonstrated it where he was behind martinelli at the halfway line albeit he was running you know without the ball but was able to finally be the one to sort of take down um <laughs> the brazilian late in the game um let's see man you i think as oh wait I also served, just just you know yeah uh, jerry saint juice his full name is jeremiah israel saint just just an amazing. unbelievable great name amazing fat mob just shortens it to jerry um but which, which is nice too i will say um man you had a nice you know rebound victory um against Batiste who seemed like they might be in the tie a little bit um also due to some poor goalkeeping from David De Gea who passed the ball um repeatedly to the Batiste attackers as he um, is want, as he is wont to do as he is wont to do Ayos Perez um you know formerly former Premier League player both for Newcastle and more recently at Leicester scored um his first goal for Batiste but after a Rashford opener early in the game, it was, you know, Anthony doing the one thing that he does sometimes, which is a nice curler from the outside of the box, followed by a Bruno Fernandes uh, header when he was just left unmarked from a corner. He should have been sent off later with a <laughs> flying studs up tackle on Claudio Bravo. Um, but he was only I given a yellow. I actually, I actually didn't think, I thought it should have been a yellow. I thought it was like a, an orange, but I would have been fine had it stayed yellow, which it did. I mean, he flew in with his studs up and no control uh, and landed directly on the shin of the keeper and wasn't really that close to the ball. That That's a red to me, but he got a yellow. I I, I mean, it, there was, there's like what half the time you snap Claudio Bravo's like leg in half with that tackle and then it's a red. So I think he just got lucky as he often does. Um, whatever. Uh, Weghorst finally scored, um, as well. And I think I might've been seeing this wrong, but I think he was actually like tearing up a little bit, um, after he scored, you know, the fourth goal that really puts this tie to bed. I think in response to a lot of the negative, you know, press and criticism he has received after the video of him touching the, this is Anfield sign. He claimed that it was, you know, to try to put his, Netherlands national team teammate Virgil van Dijk off. I'm not really sure why he thought that would work. Um, and certainly he he brought some, you know, bad juju on Man U in the game against Liverpool. But, you know, nice full circle moment well, for him. Yeah, I also just don't think he's very good. Uh, no, 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 which... no. I think it, he might also have just been crying because he's a striker who finally scored a goal. Um, so that's probably a relief as well. Sevilla. It's not, but I mean, as a striker, it's never going to be your fault when your team gives up seven goals. I mean, no, no, no. Yeah. But yeah, um, Sevilla, Sevilla picked up a win, um, which and then they are shocked. not want to do. Yeah, um, no, the, the, Sevilla. See, this is funny. This could be the year Sevilla literally finished like 16th in La Liga and, and still, like, win still win the Europa, the Europa League. League. It's like Arsenal, the FA Cup. They have just like the most unreal. You said, you yeah. said Juju. They have the most unreal Juju. Yeah. Um, Shakhtar getting a draw against Feyenoord. The conference league ties are some real conference league ties. 
Yeah, I, I, I can confidently say that I did not pay attention to any of these conference leagues. No, ever. no. I was I, actually I, shocked to learn that West Ham are still in the conference league. Yeah, uh, and they, they got a favorable draw against uh Cypriot team, AEK Larnaca. Uh, Caleb, did you root for your country then? Or? I, I was, and then we lost. Um, Anderlecht drew with Villarreal, who rotated very, very heavily, probably too heavily. Although Anderlecht, I looked, are actually like very mid-table. In the Belgian, yeah, it's been a really year. weird. It's been a really weird Belgian league. Um, as Scott Parker got sacked. Yes, as um, we'll, so, you know, we'll talk about we'll maybe club, in a minute. You know, club Bruges have sacked two managers this year. Um, yeah, Union Saint Gilles are like the most consistent team in there. I, which yeah. I wouldn't have known because again, it's the Jupiler Pro League. So, yeah. So I, I'm not sure there's a lot of conference league. Maybe we do turn to the Champions League now, starting with <laughs> you know that. You know that you know that um guy not guy Fieri Gordon Ramsay meme where it's like finally some good effing food. That's yeah. basically us going from the Conference League to the Champions League right now. Yeah, although I will say the food wasn't the food was in general not that good. The uh, no, but it was sort of more about the the lasting impression that the food left on us that was the most important. You know? Sure, sure. So maybe we'll just start with the um, Club Bruja game at Benfica. Benfica. You know, just obliterated them five to one. Um, Scott Parker got sacked. It was Benfica's, I think, biggest knockout Champions League win ever. Um, it saw Goncalo Ramos continue his really, really impressive season. Um, he has, you know, 15 goals in the Portuguese league this year. He obviously burst onto the scene with that. Um, yes, yeah, so don't Cup don't don't look up don't look up Gonzalo Ramos burst on Twitter because you'll be very disappointed with, with what you'll find. Okay, I I won't do that. Um, but this th- this Benfica team, they just have the conveyor belt. Like they've sold. Th- this team is performing so well. Admittedly, against you know probably the worst team left in the Champions League. Um. They've sold Enzo Fernandez. They sold, you know, Darwin Nunez. They're constantly selling off so much talent, and yet they're still able to, at this point, you know, have very well deservedly secured their spot into the final eight in the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, I, I was not watching this game in fairness because of the other game that was going on at the same time. But you know, they like Ajax are consistently overperforming in Europe and. They do have, you know, I think the best record of transfers in the last decade um, when it comes to just gross transfer fees received. And it's nice that they are able to get into the Champions League quarterfinals. I mean, they're going to be the weakest team remaining, almost certainly. Um, But, you know, they're certainly fun and exciting. You know, David Neres is scoring goals. They've got, you know, some other players who I think have been linked with moves away for a long time like rafa silva who's quietly like 29 now has almost played 300 games for them you know they've, they've kept hold of alex grimaldo they have florentino luis who i think is going to be a, a hot commodity around the uh around europe they're a fun team you know they're they're a fun team and this game was certainly much more entertaining than any of the other three in the champions league uh yeah can you name but, the most random player that they have who is injured for this game, but is sort of a well-known name in European football circa 
five years ago. Circa five. Can I get a country of origin? Uh, I, I'll give you, I think the country will give it away. He played for PSG though, most recently. Do they have, uh, oh, 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 um, he was always an Arsenal tar- uh, Julian Draxler. Julian Draxler, yes, who was like the Schalke wonder kid who then made a move to, um, didn't one of the other Portuguese, te- not Portuguese teams, didn't one of the other, um, Portuguese teams also sign someone from some, uh, yeah, some Julian Weigel. Yeah, Julian Weigel. That was, that was who came to mind first, but he, he, I he think was, actually, he a, he Porto. Or is he? He may or, also be on Benfica. He may have also been injured. Um, I don't know, but yes, to my knowledge, he still plays in the the Portuguese league too. But yeah, Julian Draxler is on this Benfica team, um, which I think is kind of kind of interesting. But the other, you know, <laughs> big tie because we've spent too much time on this game. Um, oh, Weigel got loaned out to Mönchengladbach um, from ah, Benfica. But yeah, okay. anyways, the other, you know, big game was. Chelsea versus Dortmund at Chelsea. Um, Dortmund took a very slim one nil, you know, aggregate lead uh, heading into this game, courtesy of a Adeyemi solo Golazzo. Uh, Chelsea finally got a win in the league in the lead up to this game, a one nil victory over Leeds. Um, and they ultimately got the win here as well. Kai Havertz basically got to take as many penalties as he wanted to until he scored. Um, Raheem Sterling, who really did not look super confident in attack, was also able to slot home. I do think, you know, Julian Brandt went down with an injury very early in this game, five minutes in, and Gia Reyna came on. Brandt has probably been, I think, you know, the best player recently for Dortmund and Dortmund were also missing, you know, the aforementioned goal scorer Adiemi as well as Makoko and some other pieces as well. So it's a bit depleted, but Chelsea do go through um to the quarterfinals. So I guess Graham Potter is is good again. As are Chelsea. Yeah, I mean it was their first time scoring two go- they they have a, a terrible goal scoring record and that's not going to change just based on this result. Um, I think the scoreline actually flattered Chelsea a little bit just because Dortmund really sat off this whole game. I mean, basically once Reyna came on, um, I thought he was really ineffectual. Uh, admittedly, they didn't really get the ball to him all that much. And um, Sebastian Holler, this was not the kind of game that he could thrive in just because he was going one on three for most of the game. And, and Dortmund didn't really possess the ball all that well outside of like in their own defensive third or defensive half um and the more Dortmund sagged off and the fact that they gave away a penalty um you know the more it allowed Chelsea to go into this game Kai Havertz just I I just I'm still just not sure what his deal is because he managed to somehow be man of the match in this game while also being probably the the biggest disappointment in this game in that he hit two posts um blew what was basically an open goal um, and actually missed the first penalty that he took, but, but ended up getting to retake it after his own players encroached, um, and then Dortmund players encroached as well. Um, but again, you know, Enzo Fernandez looks pretty good. Reese James being back to full fitness is is huge for them, um, as with Ben Chilwell on the left. And this is probably their strongest starting eleven at at the moment. 
So maybe it means good things for them in the league. Maybe it doesn't. Um, you know, they still have, you know, what, $300 million of signings on the bench. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do from here. But I suppose it's good for them as a brand. And it's good because Graham Potter was sort of on the hot seat and probably deservedly so. I mean, based on just results, I think it's tough because, you know, he has a, a backroom staff that were making transfers that he didn't want. Um, but, you know, eventually you can only spend your first billion dollars before some goals have to go your way. So Dortmund, I thought, got this wrong. I'm not sure what they could have done differently. Um, maybe play Donald Mullen up top instead and try to be a little bit more of an attacking threat. But I don't think they got it right. You know, a one nil away lead with no away goals doesn't really do all that much. And they had a couple of chances in the first half. Uh, I think Holler had a header. But other than that, it was pretty easy. And once Chelsea got that goal from the penalty, there was really no doubt, um, you know, they were going to hold on to win it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think Dortmund lacked pace um, as like an outlet in this game, you know, looking at who they were having run wide. It was, you know, Marco Royce, who was always like fast, but never like, you know, incredibly fast. And he's, you know, well into his 30s now, 33. And then, you know, Gio Reyna is also not kind of like a pace god. Um, I think if you look at their bench and you're like, hmm, who do bring on? Maybe the answer was to bring on someone like, you know, Bino Gittens, but he is still only you know, 18. And so I, I think, unfortunately, they just didn't really have the players to turn to. Meanwhile, Chelsea obviously have a lot of players that they can turn to. Um, Pulisic made his, you know, appearance post-injury. I think it's somewhat notable that, you know, Mudrik did not make it off the bench in this game. Um, and, you know, I, I think right now, Chelsea are at the point where people will be more focused on like results than whether the whether Mudrik is a bust or not. Um, but certainly, I think Mudrik is probably worse than Pulisic from what I've seen, which makes him, you know, at best, you know, a fifth choice attacker. <laughs> well, they, um, they, they optically have done themselves no favors because right. of the way they've spent. So there's they're they're in a sort of no win situation no matter what. Right. Well, I think in some ways it's it's been you know. After the January transfer window, Potter was kind of in a situation where he needed to start Mudrik, right? And he needed to start all these people. But then when the results weren't coming, suddenly the emphasis shifts where he's like more freed to be like, hey, I just got to like play the team that I want to play. And I think the team that he wants to play is like pretty good. Like the Sterling Havertz Felix front line, I think has some potential to it. I know Jeff Felix hasn't scored a lot of goals since coming to Chelsea, but I thought he's looked very good in basically every game that he's played. And so I think with the result like this, Potter probably has some authority now to go back to, to Bowley and, and the rest of the board and say, hey, like right now we're mid-table in the Premier League, we're through in the Champions League, and like I just need to be able to play the best team that I think is the best to get us you know, back into Europe. Because right now... Um, you know, they're not in in the Premier League standings. So Yeah, and again, the Chelsea also could have had, they had a goal that was chalked off uh, to offside in that first half as well. Um, I thought Sterling looked really good. I think, again, playing in a front three, like a true front three really suits him well. Um, and Havertz, for whatever lack of finish he has, 
he is like very technical, especially for a six four guy. Like some of the dribbles he was pulling out and his hold up play, while also like advancing the ball, was quite good. And Felix, you know, he, he I think if he hadn't missed those three games after getting sent off uh, on his debut, it probably wouldn't be just the one goal that he has, you know, to his name so far for Chelsea. But Chelsea and Benfica go through on Tuesday, and then. Uh, Wednesday. <laughs> Let's start with the. Uh, I'll start with the the, the less entertaining ones. Yeah. More time before transitioning to Bundesliga watch. Um, Spurs after losing uh, one nil at the San Siro, uh, return home to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and don't even put up half an expected goal. Uh, drawing nil nil with an AC Milan team who set up in basically a back seven. And knew that the Spurs team just don't have the quality. Uh, so Spurs go out in the round of 16. AC Milan, despite their domestic, well, woes, relatively speaking. I mean, they're in fifth place right now, uh, tied for fourth. They they go through. Um, Rafael Leal was really good. Theo Hernandez was really good. Um, Spurs didn't really have any notable players except for Christian Romero, who... Seemed intent on picking up a red card no matter what he picked. After he got booked in like the 15th minute, he committed like four other fouls and I was just waiting for him to get sent off and he did. Um, and again, you know, Dan Juma couldn't make it, you know, into this game. Uh, Richarlison got 20 minutes <laughs> off the bench. Um, and Harry Kane is now 0 for 70 in trophies in all of the competitions that he has played in over the course of his career. So, uh, you know, Perhaps as a Premier League fan, I shouldn't be like, oh, you know, another team bows out. But as a uh, lover of the game and of vibes, uh, this was incredibly funny to me, especially because Conte basically gave a press conference saying like, yeah, I'm out of here like as soon as this season and my contract is up. So they're crap. Um, I guess good for Milan. Yeah, I mean, this was an embarrassing, an incredibly embarrassing performance for Tottenham. They're, you know are down a goal in the tie, but they have the opportunity to win it at home. On paper, they're certainly the better team um, than this Milan side that, you know, I think really pulled together to win, you know, Scudetto last year, but has regressed significantly, probably back to their true level this year. Um, and they put up nothing offensively. I mean, as you mentioned, they put up, you know, half an expected goal. Even Milan, who didn't score in this game, put up, you know, a goal three, and a half. Three times that. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't make any big chances at all. They only had two shots on target. You know, Richarlison, their big money signing is nowhere to be seen. I mean, he came on in like the 70th minute, but it was a little too little too late at that point. Um, I, I mean, there was no fight, right? I mean... Frankly, I think if you're a Spurs fan, you'd feel better if you lost this game. Like you 3 know. 1 or something. Yeah. Or even like 0 1 um, after like a late counterattack goal or something from Milan after, you know, Tottenham put up an incredible amount of shots and, you know, Mignon just has an, un an unbeatable day, you know? But instead, it was, it was like a pretty boring, tepid, nil nil draw and i think in a knockout game that should never happen that because because it means you aren't taking risks and so i think conte's made it clear at this point that he's leaving i think this is his first game back post 
um, you know, recovery from his surgery. And as usual, like what is going on with this Spurs team? Like they're, they're, they're really terrible. Well, I think, you know, one thing that's been pointed out is that, you know, last year they got kind of superhuman numbers from Son and Kane and then half a season of Kulishevsky in terms of sort of outperforming their, you know, non-penalty expected goals. And then this year they've regressed and, you know, Son has, he has five goals and three assists in the league. And I want to say maybe one goal and two assists in the Champions League. I'm actually just going to double check that right now. He has two goals, no assists in the Champions League. So just like very average numbers, you know, Harry Kane has 18 goals in the Prem, but again, hasn't scored now in the last three games for them and is not as effective, I think, as like a an open play striker. I don't know if it's like World Cup fatigue or what for him, but, um, you know, I also think that while Spurs might be better than Milan on paper, they also are just like incredibly uninspiring. Um, and so their depth doesn't actually translate to quality necessarily. Uh, so I don't know this team is, I I don't think this first team is good and it wouldn't surprise me if they fall out of the champions league spots, um, again. And frankly, the the, the coach who's been most linked to them is Pochettino. Right. Again, this Spurs team, I think they drastically missed their window. What they needed to do was sell Harry Kane two years ago for like 150 or 180 million. And instead, everyone's a loser here. No, no. I mean, not me, Caleb, but (laughs) I mean, I'm not talking about you. It's not all about you. I'm talking about everyone being everyone related to Spurs. Right. I I think what what's interesting about the club is that I think if you look at their, you know, results over the past, you know, six or seven years, Frankly, they're probably other than Manchester City in a weird way, like the most consistent of like the top six clubs in England, except their consistency just means that they basically always finish fourth for the most part. And so they've set their ceiling pretty or sorry, their floor pretty high, but their ceiling is not much higher than their floor. And I think that just speaks a little bit to, you know, the conservative nature of you know, Levy as a kind of like steward of this club. And he's so focused on making sure they get, you know, top four close to it every year that sometimes he misses like the big picture of sometimes you also just want to take a risk, even if it's just to win like a Carabao Cup. And I think he's missed, you know, that side of football. Like he Spurs haven't had a season like Chelsea has had, you know, over the past decade where they occasionally finish like 10th or 8th, you know, um, but sometimes that can lead to good things, you know, like Chelsea wins a champions league, Liverpool also have won champions leagues. So I think there needs to be a a shift, perhaps even at a level higher than, you know, the manager um, at this club, if they want to have like any real success other than like a new club top scorer, which is, is nice, but it's not a, a it's, it's not permanent, right? Like it, it can change. I mean, it very well might be permanent for them. But yeah, I mean, it could be. But I'm saying it's not like they won. It's not like winning a trophy for a particular season, which can never change. Like that's right. Well, permanent. It's interesting, too, because the the appointment of Conte was very much a sort of win now appointment. Um, And, you know, Conte has never been a long haul manager, like not once in his career, really, or certainly in his recent career, has he been a sort of. Guardiola type, you know, where I'm going to stay here and this is going to be a project. 
he sort of goes in, wins trophies, and then dips. And obviously, <laughs> um, you know, that's not been the case here. I think they they need, I mean, obviously, this is a bit of like a, a truism, but like they need to find their own Mikel Arteta um, of sorts. Like they need to find someone who's going to build a culture and sort of um, re reignite. I hear Scott Parker score. is available, right? Which actually, which actually, <laughs> I mean, he couldn't not right now. He couldn't be appointed, but if they had appointed him two years ago, people would have been like, "Oh yeah, this makes sense." Um, no, no, yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, he is kind of like I'm just thinking like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's like the former player, maybe a midfielder, ideally, um, who's like a relatively young manager but has something to prove. Unfortunately, in Scott I mean, Parker's case, out, he's proven that he's get, just like company bad. or something. Yeah, I know. It's it's kind of it's kind of. I mean, it's too yeah. bad. He's he's got a jawline of steel. Yes, but, but uh, so whatever. So Spurs are pretty bad. Milan, I think, are the weakest team go that that are likely to go through. Um, I think they're they offer a lot less than, well, than Benfica. I think. Oh really? Um, I would say I would say that Benfica are weaker, but it doesn't matter. What whatever they're they're not the strong. They're not going to be on the top half of teams going into the quarterfinals. I think we can agree on that. Um. The other game, though, on Wednesday uh, was Bayern versus PSG at uh, Bayern. Bayern carrying a one-goal lead into this game. Um, PSG coming into it, you know, without Neymar um, because he's never available in, in March. Um, also coming into this game on the back of some, you know, very serious, uh, you know, criminal allegations against um, Hakimi. Um, and I was very surprised to see him start the game and very surprised that the television crews did not really seem prepared to uh... talk about this at all. And I thought that was... Uh, I, I thought that was very odd to me because it's unlike in England where when a situation like this comes up, you know, the press has to be very careful because they don't name the person. They have like the worst libel laws. Ever. Yeah. In it's France, actually absurd. But yeah, in in France, like it's it's very apparent that like Hakimi <laughs> was like and there's there's whatever. Um, needless to say, PSG did not seem fully dialed in um, and Bayern Munich kind of ran away. With this via Chubamatingol, I think a turning point in the game was definitely when Vitinha had um, an open shot, basically after an error from Sommer. But Delict came out of nowhere to clear it off the line. Um, he's now had two big goal line clearances in his last two games. He had one in the Bundesliga over the weekend. Um, but I've spoken a lot, Nathan. What are your thoughts on this tie? What are your thoughts on PSG? Um, and what are your thoughts on Bayern? I guess too. Yeah, I mean, this game was uh, this. I watched this game in like the foothills of Appalachia, which was really cool. Um, I was it was one of the coolest places that I've ever sat to like watch a game. Um, and yeah, I was a bit disappointed, not shocked necessarily, but you know, when the the English commentary team are like, "Oh, you know, Hakimi has had some like off field struggles lately," and like, I just think that's a very unfair way to describe the situation because like people who know already know and the people who don't know aren't going to learn anything from that comment um so 
And yeah. also the word like struggles is like the right. wrong it, word it, it, here. It totally, it totally misconstrues the, the situation. It's interesting because I was watching, just to compare this, I was watching the Fulham-Brentford game on Monday and Ivan Tony was fantastic. And the commentary team, because it's it's been public there from the FA's perspective, um, the commentary team there, I think, I forget who it was. It might have been, uh, I forget who it was. But they were like basically, you know, and this is a goal that comes like at an important time for him because, you know, he's obviously under investigation and a suspension is coming, you know, sooner rather than later, but he's certainly enjoying his time now. Like, and they explained the situation very clearly. Um, obviously this was not the case, but um, you know, what was the case was PSG after, you know, turtling in the first leg at the Parc de Prance had an uphill battle to climb, especially with no, you know, away goals rule anymore. And it was made even worse by the fact that, you know, Marquinhos had an injury pre-match and tried to play through it, but couldn't. So they brought on Nordi Mukieli in the 36th minute, only for him to be replaced nine minutes later, which makes it one of the shortest uh, appearances in a Champions League game um, as a substitute of all time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Bayern are just a, a much better team than PSGR. And I would say, you know, the talent level across the two 11s is like pretty equivalent in general. Um, but clearly from a team cohesion perspective, you know, Bayern have the better team. PSG probably have the two best players. Um, but again, you know, Mbappe, who thrives on open space, didn't really have any open space to work with. Um, you know, the front four of Bayern looked really good um, between Coman, who's had his own quote unquote off-field struggles should be noted. Um, Thomas Muller, Jamal Musiala, and Chubamoting, who we knew was going to score. Um, they looked really good. And Matthias Delict had some early nerves, but had a, an unreal clearance uh, later on. And Alfonso Davies was was very fun again, um, despite not really contributing um, in terms of goals or assists. He, he had a very, a very solid game on the left. But Again, this PSG team, which plays sort of like a 3-6-1, um, was basically playing a back one. They only had one natural center back or one first team center back out on the pitch. And once, again, once that Chifamoting goal was scored to make it 2-0, there was no way they were going to make it back. And um, yeah, this PSG team is just a good example of how, you know, superstar teams struggle because like PSG don't know struggle. Like they don't have to grind out anything over the course of their season because it's so easy when you have the four or five singular best players in the entire league. So, you know, PSG had flashes earlier, you know, in their Champions League season, but it's another failure, um, you know, and the, the Messi Neymar era, and obviously Neymar is injured and, and didn't play here, but the Messi project kind of a failure at this point as well. Uh, and, you know, Mbappe is always going to be linked with moves away pretty much for eternity. And, you know, Mbappe is now PSG's all-time leading goal scorer at the age of 24. But, yeah, PSG deserved to go out. I mean, obviously, they got a tough draw, but, you know, the better team went through for sure. 100%. And I think it's, you know, it's interesting just looking on, you know, the resources that each team was able to call upon from the bench. Um, Bayern brought on you know, Sané, Mane, Cancelo, and Nabri um, off the bench, which is very impressive. Um, meanwhile, you know, PSG, when they couldn't really get the attack going, um, didn't really have much to turn to on the bench other than, you know, Ekatike, who's who's young. He's only 20. Um, 
he's not even he's actually on loan um at PSG from Rem. I think Balogun is actually <laughs> taking his spot kind of in in that role. And I think right without Neymar there, without Messi and Mbappe performing, you realize that this PSG team doesn't have a lot to it. And that's in part because they got rid of a lot of their kind of extra attackers that they had waiting in the wings, whether it was Di Maria to Juventus um, the, this past summer or Sarabia, um, you know, to Wolves over winter. And I think we've really kind of reached the the end of, of this PSG project because Messi is probably going to leave after this. Um, Neymar is, you know, getting older and will still perform, but clearly can't be relied upon. And Mbappe now has gone out of the at the round of 16 the last two seasons. Um, and frankly, at this point, like he does, he, he, he's the type of player who should win a Champions League some point in his career. And I just doubt that it's going to be at PSG. And I think it's a lesson once again that you can buy league titles pretty easily. Um, but buying the Champions League is is basically impossible. Um, it requires something more. And I think this PSG team will have to be much more deliberate um, in their development plan going forward. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what what happens there. I mean, in a weird way, what PSG really need is another team to get purchased by. I, I'm not advocating for this at all, but they actually need some sort of internal competition because, you know, in 2017, the last time they were seriously pushed, um, you know, over the duration of a, of a full season, um, you know that Monaco team then got sold for parts, and they just they just do not have a uh, serious domestic competitor. Like Barcelona and Real Madrid will always be operating as sort of the twi and la of La Liga, uh, well La Liga, um, and you know, okay. and it, there's there's obviously you know Bayern and Dortmund. Juve didn't have a serious competitor for a long time, but Serie A is sort of like a six headed hydra um, this year. And in general, um, just because of the, the capital restrictions in that league um, as well. But there isn't, because France is such a selling league, with the exception of PSG, um, you know, they do need someone to actually challenge them financially. And that just has not been the case. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, that's another, it's going to be another weird, I don't know. Another weird uh, last couple of months of the season for PSG, who have basically nothing to play for without Neymar as well. Um, and and just looking ahead to the Champions League next week, you know, two of the ties are are done and dusted. The Wednesday ties, Napoli is up two nil on Frankfurt, going home to the Maradona, and Madrid are up five two on Liverpool. Um, the real interesting that, that game's are... a little more interesting now, honestly. But I mean, it's I mean, a little bit more interesting. But honestly, how many bodies can no, no, Liverpool no. throw forward before no, no. they concede? Like Vinicius already is so good. Um, no, but it could be yeah. it could it, it could be a bit of a goal fest just because Liverpool do need to throw bodies forward, and so it could be a fun like two three kind of game or a oh two, yeah, two. No, without a doubt. Um, and then you know on the Tuesday games, Inter is up one 0 on Porto. Like we could feasibly have two Portuguese teams in the. <laughs> In the in the quarterfinals, which is wild. Um, I do. Think we could also have two Milanese teams. Yeah, so. we could, I mean, well, one of those things is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then City, City, and Leipzig um, is an interesting one because it's as as good as City are. It's you know they didn't look great against Leipzig on the road, and admittedly they were they had a weakened lineup that game because of some illnesses and stuff. But um, yeah, we're gonna have a. It's setting up for a really interesting quarterfinals draw because. 
Bayern and Napoli on form are probably the two best teams right now. But then again, you have Madrid and likely Man City. So there could be some really good. There could be also some good remind games. me remind me if there are are there still like league, like league teams that play in the same league can't play each other at the quarterfinal level until, or is that yeah I think it's until the semis. So okay so so you know depending on the result of that you know Milan, uh or Inter rather, Porto game that could also shift, you know, what teams can potentially play each other. Um, quite yeah, significantly. Yeah, I mean, three Serie A teams, you're gonna. It's pretty easy to just right. Know, it's it's almost determined. You have three Serie A teams uh, and two English teams. You know, so right. So then you can you can figure it out. It, it, it drastically whatever. It'll it'll be interesting, and I do think the games are good. Um, do we want to very quickly touch on <laughs> uh, <laughs> buttons to go watch? So you know, last week we took we took a bit of a break. People were in various periods of transition. Um, and we were hyping up this, you know, very important game between Bayern and Union that would determine, you know, who after, you know, 21 or 22 games would sit atop the Bundesliga. And it was Bayern who would they win three nil, um, against Union. And so that was a bit sad, but, and, and they are now, you know, five points back um in the title race but Dortmund have continued you know to press on and are tied with Bayern on 49 points so I think at this point if there is anyone it is Dortmund um obviously losing in the Champions League is not a great forward-looking indicator for their ability to put together you know what they'll probably need is 11 wins out of 11 games um but certainly I do sincerely hope that it is Dortmund and Bundesliga watch is still technically on right now. Yeah. I mean, it's still technically on only the, I guess the, 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 the paradigm has shifted a little bit. I mean, Dortmund Leipzig have sort of faltered a little bit. Union, we knew this was going to happen, but then they proceeded to draw with Köln as well, which was unnecessary. Uh, they actually deserved to lose in that game. I, uh, it was not a, a pretty watch, which I guess is sort of, what you're expecting as well but uh, yeah, yeah also I mean, I mean i think it will be on if if dortmund can win the next few games there is a der classicer though on saturday yeah, april it's 1st the first game after the first game after the international break which it's at it's in munich but it could it's be really munich. fun it could Those, be really these fun games, these games these games always finish like three two or like four three there's never been a boring classicer no, but I, I think more frequently it's like four nil to Bayern. Um, yeah, or like so I guess, three one, four one. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Bundesliga watch is tentatively still on until about game week twenty six or twenty seven. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of relegation battles, five teams within one point of each other from eighteenth to fourteenth. Um, yeah, I mean Schalke have Schalke had a really important game against Bochum at the weekend, which they won. Um, they have now, you know, not lost in, you know, like five or six games. Now they've won two games on the bounce and they went from being, you know, by far the worst team in the league, um, to slowly making their way, um, you know, towards the edge of the relegation zone. Meanwhile, the teams around them are doing much, much poorer. I mean, Hoffenheim haven't picked up a point in over a month now. 
Bauckham have lost four on the bounce. Um, it, it will be interesting because frankly, from about Hertha down, uh, there's there's a lot of teams that could find themselves in the relegation or relegation playoff zone. Yeah, Schalke got a goal, by the way, a couple weeks ago from this guy who I'd never heard of. His name is Soichiro Kozuki. And I was like, who is this guy? And it turns out they signed him for their B team from a sixth tier side, GFC Durin. He scored eight goals in 14 games for their for Schalke 2. And they called him up um, and he was like a starter for like a month. Um, and his first, his second start, he scored against Leipzig. Unfortunately, he then got injured. But I thought that was just an interesting story on the Schalke side of things. I think it's good for the German game if Schalke do stay up, by the way, just because, you know, they are one of the real like fall from grace teams of Europe in the last like 20 years or so. But or even, as like, always, 10 years, but... yeah, ten, yeah, 10 years. But, um, you know, as always, uh, that was Bundesliga watch. We are still watching. Um, <laughs> looking ahead to this weekend, uh, Lillian tomorrow. That's a pretty good game. Uh, Crystal Palace, Man City. Can Patrick Vieira do Arsenal a solid, perhaps? Uh, Chelsea oh, have know. a good chance to score some goals against uh, Leicester because Leicester are uh, quite bad at the moment. Uh, Madrid play Espanyol in, um, you know, the... <laughs> the annual Franco Memorial Derby. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, speak. Uh, okay, moving on. Uh, speaking of Schalke, they do play. You know their sworn rivals, Dortmund, in the Reaver Derby uh, on Saturday as well. Frankly, it's not the best weekend um, of soccer ever. Barcelona play um, Bilbao at Bilbao. That might be good, but there isn't a ton of real top tier clashes i would say yeah uh, but and that's also where you know teams can drop points and that's that that is interesting and that's yeah what we'll discuss uh, next arsenal time. yeah arsenal have fulham in a, a london derby and then there's champions league next week and then um you know the last full match week of of games including a, uh, a league classico um where barcelona will be wearing moto mommy kits uh with rosalia's logo on the front at home to Real Madrid at the yes. Spotify Camp New. I'll uh, be there. So, will you really? Yeah, I told you this. No, you did not. Oh yeah, my dad and I were going to El Clasico next what? week. What? You can't just yeah. you can't just spring that on me. <laughs> what, the, what are you talking about? You're gonna be there. <laughs> so I I'll I, I can pod right after. Oh my it's like, god! It's like a nine p.m. kickoff. Yeah, it's on perfect. a Sunday that'll, that'll night. Be, that'll be perfect. Actually, it'll be like six <laughs> o'clock for us and you have to if they sell those rosalia kits you kind of need to get one for the vibes i i will i i'm not sure they do sell them and i'm sure if they do it's like an absolute madhouse to get them but i will i'll do my best um and report back from the game um, Wait, that kind that kind of rocks actually i didn't I, when was this decided how did how did i not hear about this i thought i told you i mean it's, this has been like months months in the works that's crazy well that'll be fun yeah um, it'll be yeah, I mean, you could basically clinch the league too, with a win. Uh, we can get closer. We can. Get I mean, you get like twelve. You go like twelve points clear. But yeah, yeah anyways, kind of crap. Next couple of weeks of soccer, but then we have the international break, which is more crap. And then obviously the important stuff comes, basically starting you know that that Saturday, April first, after the international break, when we get a sort of eight week madhouse, you know, frenetic finale to the to the year. Um, which means I guess there's a lot of time to watch MLS the next couple of weeks. So, um, but 
yeah, we talked for a while. Uh, next week, I will definitely be a little bit more, uh, not prepared necessarily, but less fatigued. Um, and we'll all be another week older and wiser. But until next time, I suppose, I have been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Rhodes. And we'll see you all next time.